everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And once again, we are here for your bi-weekly dose of uh, telling you how some at some point in history we effed up and the consequences of said effing up. Um, but today is sort of a strange day. It's September 9th, uh, 2022, and yesterday, September 8th, 2022, Queen Elizabeth II died which was a shock to us all because we all assumed that she was a robot and that she would never, she would outlive everybody. Yeah, I mean, both a shock and also kind of expected. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's 96. Yeah. You knew it was going to happen at some point. Longest serving British monarch yes. ever. Uh, and now King Charles Third is the, he was the longest serving, what is Air. it called? Heir. Heir apparent. Yeah. yeah. The longest serving heir apparent for, he's 73, 72? I think he was born in like 1948, I think. So yeah, I think she was, he was like three or four when she came to the throne. So, yeah. So longest serving heir apparent and now yeah. at the, no, he's 73 because I saw a meme about it today that was like, finally 73 year old man gets a job. <laughs> Which is true. I mean, yeah. aside from like playing Navy. Because they all play Navy for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know why it's always usually the Navy. Because they all were part of the Navy. I don't know. So they get nepotism. I don't know. but I don't really think you can fairly judge somebody who's in the royal family at doing literally anything. Yeah, especially if you're like, you know, the heir. Yeah. You're not going to be put in any danger. I will say like, you know, I think Prince Harry was on like a search and rescue team in Afghanistan or something mm-hmm. for like the British army, I think. So mm-hmm. the son who shall not be named mm-hmm. Prince Andrew, <laughs> uh, he was in the Navy. He was served. He served during the Falklands war, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Um, so some of them have been like, you know, around combat well, <laughs> or in, you know, in the, in the vicinity of combat, but yeah, a British, mo- like they haven't really been, not since the World War Two have they really been in any danger. And Queen Elizabeth, uh, she she participated during World War Two as I think she was a radio dispatch operator. No, she was a mechanic. Oh, like okay, a, like a truck driver or something. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, it was like I a think women's she, auxiliary corps or something like that. I think she also worked in a radio office, though. Possibly. I, I think I read about that. But yeah. so they they like do their little duties and participate in yeah. war games and stuff. Um, it's not like the Middle Ages where they actually were in the thick of it. <laughs> sure. So yeah, uh, which is weird because also today I think is the oh I want to say the. 509th anniversary of the Battle of Flodden, which is the last time a British monarch was killed in battle. Uh, James IV of Scotland was killed in battle. Uh, oh, okay. I see. Uh, so, so, yeah, so it's been a while since the royal family's been, like, you know, in combat. In mortal danger? 509th. It was fifteen thirteen. Um, also, though, as as we know, there are some people who are sad, which are mostly like middle aged white people who live in the in Great Britain for some reason. Yeah, but for the most part, um, I think that across the world, Queen Elizabeth II is going to be remembered mm. as the last holdover of a very 
white supremacy heavy, yeah. uh, flawed and antiquated British monarchy. And I think going forward, we're going to see we're going to see a lot less participation in that and a lot less engagement with the royal family. Yeah, because like it, it's she presided over the decolonization of most of the empire, right? Um, and even though that is the case, she still was monarch, and there's still definitely blood on her hands. Yeah, yeah, and certainly been to some extent, and we'll see like how Charles kind of moves forward with like you know reconciling with that if he even attempts to because like he may like he may even see himself like i mean yeah like i said he's 73 years old Mm -hmm. he may just see himself as a filler yeah exactly like a seat filler and maybe william you know when he presumably becomes william the fifth he'll um maybe address that more head on yeah because i know charles's big thing has always been and i guess he was like this climate change He's been, like, harping oh, yeah. on that since, like, the 80s, which kudos to him. Well, he was so. also best friends with and used him as a political advisor uh, with, um, his name escapes me, Jimmy something. Carter? No, not Jimmy Carter. He was a British guy. They just published a documentary about how he was a pedophile. Oh, and, Jimmy Savile? Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Savile. Um, Prince Charles was actually, or King Charles was actually a close personal friend of him and used him as a political advisor. Oh boy. Yeah. So, um, that's not the only questionable person that Prince Charles has been closely affiliated with. And I think the examination of that is going to really be what, like, uh, decreases the popularity because who is going to buy a porcelain plate with King Charles's head on it? Somebody will. (laughs) Weird. Those people need to be put on a list. Collectors. <laughs> Those people need to be put on a list. Yeah, wow. But, yeah. And and also, I think it's pretty fascinating that there's probably five people in all the world who are old enough to remember a monarch that's not Queen Elizabeth. I mean, like, they, they'd have to be 96 plus years old. Well, she didn't come to the throne. She was a baby. She came to the throne. Like, yeah, I just mean that while she's older alive. than 70. Yeah. No, but still, no. yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's pretty weird. Yeah, and also it's like honestly, if I were Charles, I would have picked a different name. Yeah, because <laughs> the there had the, mm, Charles the first famously fought a civil war and was beheaded, mm-hmm. tried and executed, and Charles the second had zero legitimate children with his wife and like like twenty. I don't remember offhand like several illegitimate children. Wow. So notorious philanderer, which I think Charles III might want to avoid the comparison to. Yeah. Just be- maybe. Because his... So what do you call... Is his uh, is his wife going to be called the Queen Consort? Yes. So could... Uh, like, when, when Elizabeth ascended the, to the throne, wouldn't it have not been okay for Charles and Camilla to become the monarch, the ruling monarch... Oh yeah, yeah. That wouldn't it wouldn't have been okay. I was going to say, like, wasn't her well, the dad? Whole, the whole reason that Edward the Eighth abdicated was because right. they wouldn't let him marry a divorced woman. Exactly. So it's so strange how in the past hundred years things have been. I mean, her dad, Queen Elizabeth's dad, would not have been the king no. had he not had Edward not had to abdicate. No. So so weird that now we're in a time where it's like you're married to a divorced lady. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, heck. We're at the point where they're allowed to marry, gasp, commoners. 
I mean, Kate Middleton's a commoner. Meghan Markle was a commoner. Commoner. Well. Air quotes. Commoner in terms of... Her dad doesn't have any royal titles. Yes, <laughs> He's much. not the Earl of Newcastle or whatever. Pumpernickel. Yeah. Um, also, I would encourage anybody uh, who is feeling some type of way about Queen Elizabeth's death, look up the Saturday Night Live sketch where Fred Armisen <laughs> plays the Queen and Bill Hader plays... Uh, uh, right. What was her husband's name? Prince Philip. Prince Philip. Yeah, shit. I can't remember his name. Um, and Anne Hathaway plays Kate Middleton. It is pretty hysterical, and I can't think of the Queen without thinking of that particular sketch. So yeah, and you reminded me of it yesterday. She was the major plot point of the greatest comedy film ever made, The Naked Gun, <laughs> from the files of Police Squad. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I've been seeing a lot of memes um, about Queen Elizabeth's death. Because I think now in 2022, a larger percentage of the internet using population is ready to um, confront the fact that the British monarchy has largely been a a group of people who have terrorized a large portion of the world. Yes, it has been a vehicle for exploitation. Absolutely. For only for the benefit of the British royal family. For nobody else. Yeah, or their close associates. So. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think we're ready to talk about that now. And I think that going forward, the British royal family is going to kind of collapse in on itself. And they're really just going to be like historical vehicles for, yeah. you know, oh, like, oh, we own this museum or, oh, we own this palace that you can tour. Yeah. Yeah. And Charles himself has even said he wants a, quote, slim down monarchy, which mm-hmm. I don't really know what that entails. Like, just less... Like, Maybe like there's mm-hmm. less Pete like because the royal family is basically the monarch, mm-hmm. the monarch's children, the mm-hmm. monarch's grandchildren, um, which also like includes like the previous monarch's children. Mm-hmm. So, so like the queen's cousins are members are still like princes and royal family members. It's like probably like ditching them. Like okay, d- d- you just, all just can't li- live cushy lives. Exactly, y'all got to get jobs. Exactly because. <laughs> Because the the monarchy, they get what's called the civil list, uh-huh. basically their budget from the government, uh-huh. and they each get a piece of it, depending on like how much they do, what role they have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just like, okay, a lot of you are kind of just freeloading. Mm-hmm. Go get a job. Yeah. You have to go work. Yeah. And like at this point, who could argue? Like right. they're really going to argue, sit there and argue like, uh n- no, I'm I am an instrumental part of yeah like like keeping yeah. this room filled. <laughs> it's like Queen Elizabeth had four children. Mm-hmm. Does the youngest one really need to do? Is he really relevant? Is Prince Edward really relevant? I don't no. even know. I don't even know what the hell he looks like. <laughs> it's like the rest of them. I know. I mean, I know Charles. I know Andrew. I don't know the rest of them. Anne, Princess Anne. Is she still... She's dead. No, she's not. Oh, okay, well. (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, who cares? (laughs) But yeah, but but it's like, you know... Unless they're like... So, if they were appointed, like, ambassadors or, you know, held positions in in the parliament or anything like that... Well, they can't, but they can't. Well, okay, so then they're ambassadors. Yeah, I mean, or or if they, like, went and, like, taught. You know, Mm -hmm. 
go, it's like, go actually do something. Yeah. Go do something beneficial. You can't just sit and take up an apartment. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, a lot of, like, what they do is just, like, public engagements or patronage of this charity or yeah. what have you, so. It's yeah. like, give it up. Do not be the monarch over these random places that you have almost nothing to do with anymore. Yeah. And just re- retreat back to Britain. Your time as a colonial empire is over. Just go back home. Yeah. Just sit in your little palace. And yeah. Um, I did read an article today about what's going to happen to her dogs. Which, that's the, probably the only part that I'm sad about is the Queen's Corgis are like, what the heck, where's the lady that lets us poop on all the rugs? <laughs> But, uh, yeah. but they said that they're just going to separate them and just give them to family members. And I was like, that's Why not... Why can't they just stay in Buckingham Palace? Because <laughs> King Charles probably doesn't want them to. Yeah, it's probably Camilla. She's like, get these dogs out of here. I wonder if there's... So you know how, like, the president the president of the United, of the United States has, uh, like, a renovation budget whenever they move into the White House mm-hmm. where they can, like, redecorate? Do you think they have that for Buckingham Palace? No. No, they have well, to keep well, it the same. It's different. It's different there because, like I said, the monarch gets what's called the civil list. That uh-huh. is their budget from the government. That is, I think it's still this way. They still have their quote unquote independent sources of income. Uh huh. Like their rent and kind of monies collected from their properties. Yeah. So like. The agreement was, I think it was like the 1760s or something like that. Uh, King George III was running out of money Mm because he couldn't manage his crap. (laughs) So basically he was like, all right, Parliament, you give me a fixed income of this amount. Right. And you can get the income from all my properties. Okay. I think that's still in effect. Okay. So they could just say, hey, I need this extra. Okay. Give me this extra government or... Because like, like, like increase the civil list, or I'll just you, you can just stop paying me the civil list, and I'll just take back all the income from our properties. So, because Buckingham Palace belongs to them, right? Belongs to the royal family. Belongs to the crown. Okay, so it belongs to the monarchy, yes. which they are the the uh, proprietors the, of. Yeah. So Th- think of the crown as a corporation. Okay, so it belongs to the company that births all of the <laughs> the royal family. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, think of the Crown as a corporation and the royal family are shareholders. Okay. The only shareholders. And the king is the biggest shareholder, probably. He's the chairman of the board. Chairman of the board. All right. With uh, 51% veto power. (laughs) Um, So... So if they decided, like, okay, we want to renovate part of the palace or whatever, they would be allowed to do that, right? Yeah. Like, they can do whatever they want inside of that. Yeah. Okay. Do you get? Can you tour the inside of Buckingham Palace? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I mean you can't go into like certain of course lot of, lot of it, but like like the White House, you know, like where they live. Mm-hmm. But you can see like the throne room and all the Ooh. fancy all the fancy stuff. Hmm. Okay, so, that's cool. They're not gonna let like, you sit on it, but oh, I don't want to. Yeah, I I would I feel weird about that. Like it, I don't know that chair has seen some some shit. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to sit in it. I would feel like I was going to be decapitated soon after. Yeah, Tower is not too far away. Nope. Okay. Huh. So that that thus uh, concludes our short foray into... Uh, yes. And it's sort of quasi-related to our topic. Because uh, our topic today comes out of one of 
King Charles III's newly inherited realms, Jamaica. Fun? Yes. At which I can't believe that Jamaica is still a part of... <laughs> I honestly can't believe that any place in the world is still a part of the, the British... Like, it, it, out of... I think there are 15 countries that have, this, like, use the British monarch as their monarch. Mm -hmm. Like, Canada, New Zealand, Australia. Jamaica is one of them. But out of all of them, there's probably the biggest push to essentially abolish those monarchies in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it was Barbados. They literally just did it this past year. Oh, wow. Yeah, they... they Queen Elizabeth, like, they, they lost that throne at the end of the 2021. 20, well, good. So, well, because, like, the historical connotations of, like... Sure, absolutely. Stuff, so. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> all of the Caribbean nations. Yeah, so, like, you you see less of that probably in, like, Canada mm -hmm. or New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, Australia has had a Republican movement, like, smaller Republican movement for a while, but and it's a little bit stronger. But, like, the places where... It's mostly white people mm -hmm. tend to be like, nah, it's fine. We'll keep them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Um, but well, another uh, relic of white supremacy. Yeah. But anyway, but uh, today's topic involves no death, like no death toll, nothing like that. Surprise. So it's a bit more lighthearted. Well, we started heavy, so. Yeah. But uh, this is also unique in that this is the first time we took a suggestion. I don't want to say a listener suggestion. I don't know if she listens to the show. Uh, a, uh, insider suggestion. Yeah, there we go. Uh, from the co-host of your other podcast, Attack of the Final Girls, mm -hmm. Juliet, she made this recommendation because she, uh, knows the music biz, knows music history. So thank you very much, Juliet. Yes, uh, far more than I do. <laughs> like, as you can attest, my music knowledge is limited. Yeah, maybe this uh, opened up, uh, although maybe you're not going to listen to this type of music, uh, it opened up some doors, some historical doors that maybe would not have otherwise been open. Okay. And that's the point of the podcast is yes. to... Yeah, the point is for you, uh, listener, singular, um, <laughs> don't listen to the show, um, <laughs> uh, for you to investigate on your own. Yeah. I do not have all the answers. But maybe a thing that you would never have known about. Yeah. We kindle a, a spark of curiousness. Except so. for Star Wars. I do have all the answers for Star Wars. Yeah, okay. So you say. So, so I've proven time again at trivia. <laughs> uh, not trivial pursuit, though. Well, that's because I gave my handicap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, how, how much free food have you gotten from my Star Wars knowledge? Also, though, that one time you only won because you, like slam down your pen faster but we were tied we were neck and neck there was that uh, there's that one time i won by rock paper scissors but oh for, okay the force was flowing through me oh and so i won <laughs> okay so what are we talking about today talk about dub music okay yeah. and what is dub music um it's a form of music that emerged in jamaica in the late 1960s as an offshoot of reggae mm -hmm. basically it's created by taking an existing recording Removing most, if not all, the vocals. Emphasizing the rhythm and applying studio effects like echo and reverb. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I can imagine it in my head. So, um, key to the development of dub was the widespread popularity of what were called sound systems. Mm-hmm. 
Um, sound systems were the tech setups of the various DJs, recording engineers, and producers at clubs, venues, or studios. Mm-hmm. So you'd set up like your own amps, your own. Um, yeah, I mean, you you have a sound setup. system at home, so yeah, and you get you fiddled with it, you know, on your own time. You've yeah. made different combinations. So, like, all these sound systems were very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, also important in the development of dub was the parallel growth of what was called toasting. Oh, okay. I've never heard that term. Uh, toasting is where DJs add their own vocals over, over a track, mm-hmm. uh, usually a mix of talking or chanting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was developed in the late 1950s by Winston Cooper, a.k.a. AKA Count Matsuki. Mm. I love yeah. his, uh, his known-as name. That's great. You're going to get a lot of those. Ooh, episode. okay. So, um, so, yeah, so, like, they take these um, tracks and, like, do their own thing over it. That's interesting, because uh, there was definitely a renaissance of that in the 90s, like, when people became obsessed with Gregorian chants over, like, goth techno again, where they would put, like, Gregorian chants over techno music. Have you ever heard that? I'll take your word for it. Man, I forget how little you know about music post 1990 Uh yeah anybody who's i mean like i mean they have it some of it in like goth have you ever seen the crow once okay goth knowledge man visigoths you got it 1990s (laughs) goths you know nothing (laughs) yeah and i know the goths that matter Um, (laughs) oh okay yeah i'm a goth that matters i take umbrage to that goth lives matter goth lives matter Hmm. okay Continue. Uh, in the 1960s, uh, DJs like Arthur Duke Reed and Cecil Campbell, a.k.a. Prince Buster, uh, would toast over reggae tracks that they played at clubs. Okay. So, so like, they're, they're you know, having these tracks that they've modified in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot, and these, a lot of these still have their vocals in it. They just, like, kind of, like, shifted it or modified it like and changed like the uh so it did like a remix yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, getting to our uh effort uppers or one singular effort upper this is another one that kind of pops in and out okay and this is also one where the mistake was like the most and it might be the most innocuous mistake we've talked about <laughs> okay that's um, interesting yeah because it wasn't well because it was an accident um most of the mistakes we talked about is like they consciously made the decision and it turned out to be a bad decision this one is like he like literally just effed it up by accident (laughs) well i love an accidental uh eureka moment yeah in 1968 sound system operator rudolph ruddy redwood uh, went to get a dub plate of the song on the beach by the paragons now dub plate is the record of an existing song that has been modified by a sound system operator. So it's like it's the actual record of what they've like they're, they they've modified. So it's like the hard copy of the remix. Yes. Okay. It's typically put onto an acetate disc. Uh, they were yeah they were essentially just first run copies of songs uh, made to verify the sound quality before they would mass produce onto a vinyl record. So it's like the rough draft. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because you don't want to mass produce a whole bunch of records and then there be Something wrong with them. Right, exactly. So this is what you make sure. So like, it's, it's the master. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so when cutting the dub plate, sound engineer Byron Smith accidentally left out the vocal track, leaving only the, the instrumental. Because up till now, they had kept the vocal track in. Mm-hmm. 
And this is the first time where they're just like there's no vocal track on it. It's literally just the instrumental. Mm-hmm. Uh, Redwood decided to take the vocalist dub plate to the club, where DJ Wasi toasted over it. Okay, with no lyrics. No lyrics. Okay. So it's like entirely. They're not. They're not like playing off the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's entirely just taking the instrumental with their sound effects in it. Okay. Um. The crowd responded positively to the modified track, including producer Edward Bunny Lee, uh, who was in the crowd, uh, who recommended the change to sound system operator Osborne Ruddock, also known as King Tubby. Okay. Uh, These nicknames are great. Uh, King Tubby began to experiment with stripping out the vocal track and working with just the instrumental. Mm -hmm. These tracks became known as versions. Okay. Versions permitted sound system operators and DJs to play around with the same instrumental track in different ways. Okay. Because now they don't, they're not like, because a lot of times the vocal, like, yeah, it sounds t- tend to vocal like, like they, they tend to like play off the, right, the, the rhythm or the instrumental. Not having that allows them to like really play around with the instrumental more than they had before. Right. And also the, the, problem with playing around with a track that has vocals on it is that if you speed it up or slow it down you either get chipmunks or you get like weird you know like deep throat stuff yeah. <laughs> so so the, stripping out the vocals makes it so that you can scratch you can slow it down you can speed it up yeah and that makes it uh more flexible yeah and then over top of that then you can add your own vocals or you could re-add that so yeah and then you can also like really shift the tone of a of a, mm-hmm. of a song because if a you could t- like if you leave the vocals into like a very you know happy go lucky song no matter what you do the, to it it's still going to have that right tone to it mm-hmm. if you strip out the lyrics you can turn it into like some dark yeah you can make it darker or yeah. you can make it brighter you yeah. can make it um less uh, slow. You could take something that has like a really good, um, you know, beat to mm-hmm. it, and then uh, jazz it up, yeah. make it a little bit faster, and then it's a dance track. So yeah, cool. Uh, so this and this created a lot more variation and uniqueness. Like every time they would like make an adjustment to it. Cool. Uh, and if the track was well received when they played at the clubs or the events, the new variation could be mass produced on the vinyl records. Sure. Yeah. So yes. so basically, that's how you get your DJ remix. Yeah, and really, they can try out these tracks like at the club first and see if like, hey, do people like it. All right, let's yeah. mass produce it. Yeah, that's a that's a great litmus test. Yeah. So over the next few years, DJs and sound system operators would develop dub into a subgenre of reggae. Mm-hmm. Uh, early pioneers of the g- genre were Errol Thompson, Herman Chin Loy, and Lee Scratch Perry. Okay, I think I've uh, heard of Scratch Perry before. Yeah, Perry's nineteen seventy three album. Uh, Blackboard Jungle was regarded as one of the first landmark dub albums. Okay. Um, so, but like many musical genres, dub's popularity waxed and waned over the years. Of um, course. But um, it would influence like a lot of like more big name uh, groups. Uh, Perry collaborated with The Clash in the 1970s. Oh, I love The Clash. Uh, and The Ruts worked with Neil Fraser, aka The Mad Professor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, several other groups like Culture Club, The Police, Sublime, No Doubt, and Soundgarden have cited Dub as an influence. And yeah. yes, I heard of all of those bands before I researched this. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you. Yes. But that makes sense. Like, really anything that's ska, like Sublime is probably one of the, the 
bigger named like Scott influenced my roommate bands. freshman year in college had a big sublime poster on as well everybody who smoked weed did <laughs> no, I didn't uh, <laughs> you just totally outed yourself hopefully your mom doesn't listen to this episode because I'm keeping she that she does in. I don't think she knows how to work the phone to get podcasts <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, oh, episode twenty five. This is a great one for you to listen to. Hi, mom. <laughs> Anyways, um yeah, that was like a really common like stoner trope was to have a big the big sublime sun on yeah. a poster. But yeah, like you can hear um especially in ska or like ska inspired bands like No Doubt, you can definitely hear that. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um a dub has greatly influenced electronic music, uh-huh. leading to the creation of dubstep. Right. Um, but many dub artists use the form with, its, and they can like with its extensive use of sound effects, um, and the fact that they can toast over it mm-hmm. uh, to express their feelings regarding the African diaspora and the treatment of African descended peoples in the Americas. Wow, especially in Jamaica, because mm-hmm. Jamaica was. Colony. A, a slave colony. Mm-hmm. That essentially just uses a massive sugar farm. Right. Um, That's really interesting to use that. I mean, I think it's a very common um, thing, especially in African diaspora like areas, to use music as a way to express yourself oh, yeah. uh, and like the injustices that y- you know your your ancestors and you yourself have experienced and i think that that's still something that um continues even today so um interesting though that that even uh kind of resonates in this music that has had such widespread influence in other types of music that we like would never associate with that yeah like dubstep like would you ever say like oh dubstep is actually comes from roots in expressing your displeasure with diaspora i wouldn't think that no um, to this day, many reggae singles will have a B-side that's just the instrumental. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so sound system operators and DJs can experiment with it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So what it's a like, legacy. Yeah, yeah. it's like, you could easily, like, they could easily be like, especially nowadays, don't use our stuff, we'll sue you. Right, <laughs> yeah. In yeah. a litigious society, that's very yeah. common. Yeah, but, you know, they understand, hey, this is a important part of our cultural framework we Mm -hmm. need to encourage this yeah or at least give them the opportunity to continue to do this and also like what better way to get people to buy your stuff than to encourage them to experiment with it exactly and if they do end up recording another song with it royalties (laughs) at least in the u.s i don't know how that works outside maybe 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 not i don't know anytime one of those court cases come up weird al doesn't have to pay royalties for any of his songs I, Even that, though a lot but does, of them... <laughs> but does he sample those songs? Because that's the difference. Because I think he recreates the music. Doesn't he have his band play that music? I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's probably how he gets around it. But Because it's parody. Yeah. But if you play it yourself, that's one thing. But if uh, I think if you sample the track, that's another. That's fair. Yeah. So, um, I'm he- not... Straight I mean, up made a polka version of Bohemian Rhapsody, didn't have to pay Queen a dime. I'm not sure exactly how that would work with dub or like sampling another yeah. track, but you've like modified it enough to where. Yeah, that's true. I guess if you've made enough modifications, then yeah. you know because you don't want to like re rehash the whole song. But yeah. Um, yeah, so 
but I, I always think that like collaboration is always a good way to inspire people. So I think that it like always is the best, best thing that you could possibly do is to encourage people to play with what you've already made. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like a short and sweet, but we kind of went on a little, little tangent there at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so the sources I used for this, this, I'm Sean Connery now. <laughs> um, sources used were Michael Veal's dub soundscapes and shattered songs in Jamaican reggae from 2013. And a few internet articles. Uh, John Bush, Dub Revolution, the story of Jamaican dub reggae and its legacy. Um, Kirk DiGiorgio, uh, The Roots of Dub from 2018. And Pablo Gill's uh, Dub Music, Exploring the Genre's Jamaican Origins, also from 2018. Um, And there's also, I wanted to do something. Um, I would like to introduce a new segment. So... Since we don't, you know, actually have any listeners, um, we don't get any feedback. So, but on the off chance we ever do get a listener or two who... We have listeners. Don't sell yourself short. Um, who, who want to give us feedback. We'll use this space to do that. Oh, okay. Feedback but, corner. But when we don't have feedback, since I listen to... And a, few, a plethora. A, a few podcasts. Uh-huh. Um... I, I could, you know, for for a few listeners who may be, you know, interested, I'll give them, I'll, I'll give the podcast a shout out. Oh, okay. Maybe a, a recommendation, rather. Yeah. Not going to do, like, any of these, like, you know, corporate ones, like, you know. Yeah. Or, so, like, Wondery, you know. Exactly what I was getting TM. at. So, um, so, recommendation for this week, one that I would recommend, uh, if you're into baseball history. Mm-hmm. Uh, is one called Black Diamonds. Okay. Uh, the uh, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum does it. A lot of lot of good stories. A lot of interesting stories. Um, also gives a kind of like what life was like uh, in the twenties and thirties as a black baseball player. Mm-hmm. A lot of times playing in the South. Right. Um, so that's definitely one to. Uh, to, to to listen to if you're into um, into the like you know baseball history and stuff. So even if you're not into baseball history, it's still entertaining. Where can people find it? The uh, wherever they get podcasts. Okay. So. Cool. Um. So yeah, that we'll just do that a little segment. Um. I know that one's not exactly a non corporate one. I don't think. I think it's on like serious. But oh, it's okay. But uh, it's still a very interesting one that I that I enjoy. Yeah. Um. And also, the Negro Leagues don't exactly. They're they're finally starting to get their fair shake, mm-hmm. but they don't get as much love as exactly. Yeah, so I always um, love a hidden history like that, like history that we're we're now starting to uncover and be more sensitive to that we in prior generations probably wouldn't have. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So cool. Um, yeah, that'll just be a thing every week or every episode. Not every week, thank <laughs> God. That'd be too much work for me. Um, what are we talking about next next time? What is that the next time? Twenty six? Uh-huh. What did I pick for twenty six? Oh boy. Oh. Um, we're gonna talk about um an event that I know you've heard of. Everybody listening to this podcast has heard of. Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay. And how one little mistake could have stopped it. Dang, okay. Or at least it could. It might not have been as bad as it ended up being. 
Okay. So, well, aside from the uh, Michael Bay movie of the same name, I don't know a whole lot about Pearl Harbor. So, oh, Lord, that movie! Don't even, don't, just don't even. <laughs> I'm gonna rewatch it beforehand so I can no, brush no, up on my history. No, 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 don't put yourself through that. That's like that's like over two hours. I think that might be a three-hour movie. That's a, regardless. That is far too much time of your life. You will never get back. Well, I need to brush up on my history so I can make if sure you that want, I... Listeners, if you want to watch a movie about Pearl Harbor, go watch Tora, Tora, Tora. Oh, that's old, though. But it's good. Pearl Harbor has more explosions. <laughs> okay. Listeners, <laughs> watch Tora, Tora, Tora. Do not watch Pearl Harbor. You will thank me. Alright, so next episode, Pearl Harbor. Yep. Cool. And then... On the episode after that, a surprise. Oh, okay. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, keep an eye out. All right. Keep an ear out. Ear out, whatever. <laughs> for the next few weeks leading up to our one-year anniversary, we'll be running a poll on our Twitter account for you, the listeners, to have your say about who the biggest effort-upper was from our first year. How it works is like this. We've randomly seated our 26 effort-uppers into a tournament-style single elimination bracket. Cody and I will discuss each matchup and decide who we want to win the matchup. This is where you come in. Before the polls close on October 25th, just comment on our Twitter account with your top three F-Reppers. They don't have to be ranked or anything like that. Just name three that you liked or were entertained by or that you think had the biggest impact. Cody and I will take those votes, add them to our own, and determine the winner of each matchup. If we disagree on a winner and there's a tie, we'll coin flip to determine the outcome. So get your votes in by October the 25th so we can be included in the tally, which you'll hear on a special episode on November 2nd. We'll give a shout out to everyone who voted, so be sure to comment with your eye for uppers. Please be sure to check out our other projects, The Drunken Pawn, where we play board games and drink on YouTube, uh, Attack of the Final Girls, my sister podcast project with my lovely pod wife, Juliet, where we talk about horror movies. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WeEffedUp, no spaces. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And this is We, we Effed Up. up.